Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are talking about the Browns 17-13 win. We're going to tie in and discuss the offense. Talk defense yesterday. If you missed that podcast, please go back and check that out. Talking offensive production performances. And we'll start with the basic stats. They went for 370 yards, 63 offensive plays, 5.9 yards per play, 163 rushing yards, which is fantastic, 207 passing yards, Really nice balance. Six penalties. Not all of those, obviously, on the offense. They did turn it over one time on Case Keenum's interception, but they scored two touchdowns, kicked a field goal, and those 17 points were enough to get the Browns the win. 31 minutes, 17 seconds of play clock used. Very productive day in terms of keeping the football away from the Giants. Let's go ahead and talk personnel used. 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, 20 snaps. 21 personnel, two tight ends. Or sorry, two running backs, one tight end, 14 snaps, 11 personnel, 27 snaps. That's one running back, one tight end. And then 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends on two snaps. So 11 personnel, the singular most used. But if you look at which group found the field the most, it would be 12 and 21. So you're going to see those extra players on the field from a heavier standpoint, an extra tight end, an extra fullback. They used 11 personnel a ton at the end of the second half as they did the week before. It's going to be a frequently used situation where you got a ton of passing that needs to happen. So I would uh, I would not put too much stock into upticks of 11 personnel. Again, quite yet. Let's talk about what they did. Not a ton of, uh, let's check here. I want to make sure I have the exact number for you when I'm looking at opportunities based on run game. It was, eh, 50-50 was not the right number. But I would say you're looking at more... 70-30 zone. They ran more wide zone in this game, a little more split zone. If you watch the film room on Twitch tonight, so they're going to run that tight zone with a backside tight end, kicking out the backside end, pulling across the line of scrimmage, that concept. More zone uh, than, uh, than, than than gap, like I said, but it's, you know, it's going to vary game to game, but I think there was definitely an uptick in zone blocking in this game because they found success with it. That was what they were running uh, most successfully. So that was a, a lot of what they did run game-wise. Didn't get too creative. Did run one reverse to JoJo Natson for 12 yards, I believe. And that reverse game is going to be something Kevin Stefanski uses all the time. He talked about that with the media. He said, you know, I didn't, I'm not running anything I won't be running regularly in games. They run the reverse stuff. They ran passes out of the reverse stuff. So that's not like a uh, super unique game day wrinkle. That's just something that they want to get good at to use when the time comes. Let's look at... Let's look at grades. Uh, I would say I should wrap up concepts-wise. They ran a ton of empty, about seven or eight snaps of it, where they would motion out of it, uh, out of the backfield. They ran from empty Haswai juke, which is hitches on the outside, bender routes on the inside, and then a tight end running a, a juke concept where he can he can settle over the football. He can run an option route either side, depending on man coverage. It's a it's a very popular NFL concept. It was one that really stood out. The Browns ran a lot. They did not run a ton of bootleg stuff. A couple snaps of it, not a very popular scheme on the day. They did run their stick spacing concept that they like to run. 
uh, just very short, quick routes, like to dump it off to the back in that scenario. They did a couple times. And then on the goal line, they ran uh, some corner routes that were really effective. So kind of a speed out corner concept. Some people call that, uh, we used to call that when I was playing, we used to have a, seam, a concept there called seam. That's the name of the concept. It's got a bunch of varying names across the NFL or college level or even high school level. But in condensed fields, it was what they decided to run. They missed Richard Higgins on that early, uh, the first play. The, I think it was second down. That Keenan was a bit late. Came back to it on third or sorry, fourth down. He hit uh, he hit Kadero Hodge in the corner there. A uh, well timed better throw in a tight window and completed it. But otherwise, no scheme stuff really truly stands out to me. Uh, again, I thought they were really vanilla. Didn't have uh, a ton of of different data gathered on that. But uh, basic run game stuff. Their basic pass game stuff. Uh, there was there was some comebacks they sprinkled in a little bit more this week where Laletta threw a nice comeback to Kadero Hodge on a third and 13, I believe, to the wide side of the field. So they did do a little bit more downfield, stick-based downfield throws where they're trying to drive past, either curl it up or come back to the outside toward the sideline. Did notice a little bit of that. Uh, let's talk performances. Your snap count leaders on the day. The Browns are uh, they're, they're short-handed along the interior, so they had to play Colby Gossett at right guard, 65 snaps. Drew Forbes at left guard for 65 snaps, so they played essentially the whole game, right? If we're looking at snap counts, did I give you guys the specific number? 63 offensive plays, so probably including those guys on a on a couple different uh, a couple different maybe kneel down situations or something along those lines, maybe maybe a a field goal or something. I'm not sure why the NFL stat and the pro football focus is off by a couple there. But those two had to play almost the entire game. Blake Hans played 37 snaps. Javon Patterson relieved him at center for 28. Chris Hubbard started at right tackle. He was eventually replaced by Greg Sinat. Um, uh, let me see. Hubbard played uh, at right tackle. Hubbard played. They have him listed as a guard, which is kind of strange, and it always messes with me. Where is he? Where is he? Uh, Chris Hubbard, right tackle, 22 snaps. Sanat played 28. Uh, a couple right tackle snaps from James Hudson as well. He ended up playing 58 total, predominantly on the left side. But there's they're definitely cross-training James Hudson, left tackle, right tackle, to be a swing tackle player. And then um, Alex Taylor played 22 left tackle snaps before he had a pretty ugly ankle injury where he got rolled up on and his left ankle was pinned under his body on a run scheme. So it was... Not pretty, unfortunate to see because I think Alex Taylor has a lot of potential. Hopefully they can IR him and bring him back as a waiver to bring back as an IR designation to get another chance to bring him along. So other people that played a lot of snaps, obviously the Browns did not play Harrison Bryant, so they didn't play their top three tight ends. That means Connor Davis, Jordan Franks played a lot. 48 snaps for Connor Davis, 42 snaps for Jordan Franks. We'll cover those guys in a bit, but Connor Davis had a much better game than Jordan Franks, which is the opposite uh, from week one of the preseason as those guys kind of duke it out for if the Browns are going to keep a fourth tight end. Uh, from the wide receiver side, JoJo Natson had the most snaps at 42. Kyle Aletta had 40 quarterback snaps. Case Keenum had 25. Other receivers who played pretty deep into the game, Rashard Higgins had 33 snaps. Kadero Hodge had 30 snaps. Davion Davis had 33. Well, as we know, Davion Davis' suspension two years later from 2019 gets passed down, so he is out two games uh, of this upcoming season. Even if he is able to somehow make the roster, he would miss two games uh, due to that reckless driving. I think it was a DUI that he pled down to reckless op or something like that. So uh, he played 33. 
Um, Dearness Johnson played 25 in the backfield. John Kelly played 21. Both of those guys I thought played well. Demetrius Felton got 16, uh, 16 snaps, mostly in the backfield. Donovan Peoples-Jones had 15 snaps. Andy Janovich had 11, sorry, 9 snaps, and Johnny Stanton had 11. Although it felt like Johnny Johnny Stanton was on the field forever. Top overall grades. We'll get a, get, uh, a bit more granular here in a minute. But top overall grades, John Kelly, 90.1. Alex Taylor, 86.4. Johnny Stanton, 84.3. Greg Sanat, 82.1. Andy Janovich, 76.9. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 76.0. Davion Davis, 75.1. So on and so forth. Your worst grades, Case Keenum uh, in his 25 snaps graded out of the 33-0. I thought Case was okay, but he missed in uh, a, ti- a couple timing throws that he missed. Inaccurate to Donovan Peoples-Jones up the seam on a, a bender route that, that could have been dropped, but DPJ made another great catch away from his frame behind his body. And then that brutal, brutal interception that I broke down on the Twitch channel for OBR subs that will be posted today for you OBR subscribers to rewatch if you would like. He, uh, he, he just, I don't, I don't really know what he was thinking. I think he thought the corner route, the guy covering the tight end on the corner route was blind. It was not going to turn and it would be a face guard situation, but that did not, uh, that did not happen. We'll talk about James Hudson's 31.9, two straight rough games for the rookie tackle. Uh, he had another penalty, one of the two offensive penalties. Drew Forbes had the other. Let's go kind of, like I said, get a little bit more granular. We'll talk about offensive line first. From a pass block perspective, okay, let's look at pressures allowed. Uh, your leaders in pressures allowed. James Hudson allowed six pressures, okay. Um, he had 43 snaps at left tackle, 15 snaps at right tackle to get a bit more specific for you. He allowed four hurries, one hit, one sack. Again, I still think he is his target drop depth is not great yet, and he's not tying the feet and hands together. So he has a completely ineffective punch. And then he's not keeping the feet moving after his punch attempt, thus allowing an angle to be created. That is just something he's going to have to rep like crazy to uh, to improve. Blake Hans allowed two pressures. I should say Blake Hans, Colby Gossett, Drew Forbes each allowed two pressures. One sack by Gossett and Forbes were allowed. I thought Forbes did not pass protect very well. He actually graded out pretty poorly. All four of those guys graded out pretty poorly in pass pro. James Hudson, 19-7, Hans, 39-4, Colby Gossett, 26-0. Colby Gossett, again, his lack of athleticism shows up. Blake Hans gets a little bit lean to me. He'll lean on you. He'll let you turn an angle on him. He doesn't stay strong through his upper body. Drew Forbes is, a, is picking where he wants to pinpoint the body to do what he needs to do, whether drive by, turn a guy. He does not pick the point of the, body, the opposition's body that he needs to to, uh, to, to get the right angle as people are trying to get skinny or use club rips or whatever. I don't, I don't see him pick the right point to attack, and then he gets too much of one side, and it allows pressure to be created. Uh, they run blocked really well, this group. Again, we'll talk about that in a second. But the, uh, the pressures there were, were, there were quite a few. Um, Greg Sinat allowed one. Alex Taylor allowed one, but both of those guys graded out really, really well, and we'll talk about that uh, here in just a moment, but uh, both of those guys, they graded out really well, so I don't want you to think that that, uh, that those guys did not did not come away playing really well in this football game, uh, but I did want to go through a little bit of those uh, breakdowns, pass block grade, so true pass sets, so who led the team in true pass sets, and again, true pass sets are things that eliminate three-man rush, 
ball out in under two seconds, screens, play action. Like, think think true pass set, think third and eight. And the quarterback's taking a three- to five-step drop. The most difficult scenario for an offensive lineman to block uh, that type of deal. Think of it that way. So, Drew Forbes, 25. Colby Goss at 25. James Hudson, 23. Blake Hans, 19. Pretty bad from all of them. 19.8 for Forbes, 36.9 for Gossett, 10.0, which is really low for James Hudson, and then 28.1 for Blake Hans. So just way too leaky. Didn't think they handled twist stunts the way they should. There was a couple examples I posted on Twitter where they did handle it well, but overall as a group, not good enough, and it allowed, the miscommunication led to, to pressures. Should talk about who did the best. Greg Sinat, who I he was pretty good in week one. He was pretty good. Not great, but good, especially good run blocking. He picked it up in the pass pro protection side. 14 true pass sets, a 76.7 grade. That's phenomenal. Again, only allowed that one hurry. Both running backs had four, uh, sorry, one pass protection snap and, and did well. Alex Taylor had a 67.9 in his five pass sets. It's pretty solid before the injury. Again, I'm bummed out about that. Chris Hubbard with eight pass sets of 61.9. Javon Patterson had six of 56.2 mark for him. So, again, not very good in the pass pro side. The running side was much better. So, if we're looking at zone, who handled zone? The wide zone, split zone, tight zone, those zone schemes on the move. Alex Taylor had a 90.0 in six reps. Greg Sinat in five reps had an 84.2. Colby Gossett in 83.7 in 13 snaps. Blake Hance had six from the center position, 82.9. 81.8 Drew Forbes in 13 reps. Thought he blocked really a really good, nice job climbing to the second level. Uh, understands the angles. There's a lot to work with there. I think Forbes is 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 really interesting. The pass, the pass pro stuff worries me, but... I like how he moves, and what the biggest thing for this scheme is how well do you move. Connor Davis, a tight end, had a 68.6 mark, much better than his week one. Andy Janovich in three reps, a 68.2. On the, on the bottom side of this, Chris Hubbard, a 55.8 in five reps. Jordan Franks, a 52.5 in 16 reps. Javon Patterson, seven reps, a 50.0. Uh, let's see here, anybody else of significance? No, let's look at gap schemes. Power counter, Alex Taylor, 5 reps, 74.7. Colby Gossett, 9 reps, 72.6. Drew Forbes, 71.9, 9 reps. Sanat had 3 reps, 65.9. Javon Patterson, 6 reps, 65.3. On the low side, James Hudson struggled in gaff schemes, 51.5. So just a tough day for James Hudson. I thought guys who stood out, collective performance, Greg Sanat, Really stood out to me uh, as a guy who really gained ground on potentially being a player that could make the roster. I know they have Chris Hubbard. They're probably going to keep James Hudson. But Greg Sanat is a guy that I think teams across the league should really be looking at. I mean, he's still relatively young. He's only, I, I think he's still under 20. He's just about to turn 27. So still young, right? He's got, he spent time 2018, 2019 with Baltimore and was uh, was relatively okay. So, you know, teams that are desperate across the league should really be looking at Greg Snyder, who I think has played some really strong football. And he's a mountain of a human being. Every bit of 6'6", 305. I think that's being generous on both accounts. So, um, I like those. I like the performance from Snyder. I thought the run game performance from the interior was strong. Chris Hubbard, as usual, you know, productive self. 
thought he was pretty good. And then can we get James Hudson cleaned up? Can he have a better week three preseason performance? It would be really nice to see. And it'd be nice to see Drew Forbes put both sides together. Don't know if Michael Dunn will be back. Don't know if Nick Harris will be back. Obviously, those guys are fighting for a roster spot. It's uh, it's going to be something to pay attention to for this week. Okay, receiving grades. Uh, 92.2 for Johnny Stanton. Two targets, two catches. Nicely nicely done, showing he can handle some things. A nice, a nice play-action catch and a nice catch up the seam on a bender route out of empty. Uh, Demetric Felton, 74.8, two targets, one catch. Donovan Peoples-Jones had that fantastic 13-yard catch, 74.1. Davion Davis, three catches on four targets, 45 yards. Great, great effort going up and getting that football to save Kyle Aletta an interception. Connor Davis, much better this week, four catches, five on five targets for 29 yards. Kadero Hodge with, the, with his touchdown catch, two catches, four on four attempts. That great comeback route, really like that route, that, that execution with Kyle Aletta. Um, uh, I think... I think Laletta missed him on a route in the early second half that could have been a nice chunk play, too, on a, on a corner route from a bunch alignment. Poor grades. Uh, Rashard Higgins, 57.5 because of that end zone. Again, not an easy catch. Should have caught it, but not an easy catch. Jordan Franks ends up with two drops. Not sure if they gave him a drop on those, but those are two plays that he should have made. I mean, he's got to make those catches. They actually didn't give him a drop. I mean... The defense did get a hand in to rip it out at the catch point, so they don't give him a drop, but a guy who's fighting for a roster spot has to make it. Yak, yak uh, yard leaders, 26 for John Kelly, who caught a swing pass, made a couple guys miss, had that run where Baker was celebrating him. Connor Davis had a couple nice catch-and-turn plays, 19 yards, and then 23 from Dearness Johnson, who also caught a couple of uh, caught a couple swing passes and got moving. No running back screens, a nice tight end screen, but no, maybe one running back screen. I can't remember off the top of my head. I did not write that metric down. Other notes. Let me see if we have any here. Um, quarterback play was inconsistent. I thought I'll reiterate that I think that the the Kyle Laletta stuff was too early. Laletta has to hit every single throw to earn the trust to get that to get that backup role with the relationship Case Keenum has with Stefanski. I just don't uh just don't think he can. He can miss throws, and he missed some important throws that he needed to make. He graded out in the 50s. He's fine. Good practice squad quarterback. Could be a backup for a lot of teams in the league. I'm just not forcing that backup role on him right now. Not not, not ready to do that. Five snaps of Browns win uh, from, from backfield to empty. Motion the guy out. They love to do that to, to get a, an, an indication of what coverage is going to be, man or zone, pre-snap, get a tip. Browns ran a lot of two-by-two two with a couple guys in the wing position. They like to do it with two tight ends. They did it with a fullback sometimes. It's a good formation, good balance. You can get really creative from it. Uh, that's about all I have. Um, you know, performance-wise, stock up. Johnny Stanton, Greg Sinat. I think you saw a stock up from Davion Davis again. Granted, his personal situation, a little rough. But I thought Davis played well. Kadero Hodge needed a bounce-back game. Thought he got it. Right? Um... I thought John Kelly played phenomenal football. Again, not a great vision guy. Not great yet for this scheme. He's learning it. But contact balance, man, he's got it. He can move a little bit, too. He's not easy to bring down. 90.1 is no grade to scoff at. Alex Taylor's stock was up, but he gets hurt, which is unfortunate. Guys who dealt with the stock down situation, James Hudson, he's got to improve. Case Keenum takes a bit of a hit overall. Jordan Franks had a, a poor performance after I thought his his uh, his week one performance was really good. 
So he kind of comes down a little bit. Kyle Lauletta comes down a little bit. Other than that, some middling performances. Forbes, Hubbard, Hans. Need to see those guys put it together. Should have mentioned Connor Davis's stock is up. So a lot to prove between Franks and Davis for who can win that fourth tight end role again. And Johnny Stanton's continuing to prove that if you want to go with a, you know, maybe a hybrid between fullback tight end, have an extra guy there who can handle that role, he can do those things. You put him on the field, he's showing he can handle it at the NFL level. I don't think they will, but if they wanted to get creative with that route, they certainly could. We're going to have more discussion on personnel. We need to see some key guys back, and we might see some starters play in Atlanta. There's a lot of discussions to have on what routes they can go. They keep the fourth tight end. Do they keep a sixth or seventh receiver? Do they keep a, a fourth running back, a tenth offensive lineman? A lot of things to work out still. That'll be a, a big talking point moving forward for us is, uh, is, is what they're going to do with that extra little wiggle room of, of player and some of the guys that they can protect on the practice squad as well. So, uh, you know, keep, keep that in mind. We'll move, we'll talk about that a lot moving forward. We'll have a specific Twitch show dedicated to it next week. So should be a, uh, should be a fun episode, but we're going to, we're going to transition. I have a, a visit that I made to a cover one podcast talking about Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and where Baker is. And it's kind of a fun back and forth because Buffalo folks are down on Baker. So I try to explain a lot of things. Hopefully you enjoy this, uh, this interview. If you're not interested in it, Feel free to skip through it. I appreciate you listening to the offensive data study here. My thoughts from the game, my scouting notes. We'll have a lot more going into the end of this preseason run, looking at the big picture. have a ton of stuff up on Twitch. If you're an OBR subscriber, I'm going to post the film room that we did, Chalk Talk session for subs only on the website today. You'll be able to find that. Otherwise, you have to watch it live. And, and there's reasons for that that I can't really dive into, but we want to keep that exclusive for our OBR folks. So if you're a member, check it out on the website. If you have any offensive-specific questions, who I thought played well, who didn't play, who I didn't play well, you want me to expand on, ask me in the Ask the Insider section. I'll be more than willing to help you out with that. And a reminder to check out yesterday's defensive notes that are written up on the website. Let's get over to my interview over on cover one, it's a long one, but it's a good one. A lot of Baker, a lot of Josh Allen talk, a lot of uh, different perspectives we don't always hear. So let's get over to that interview right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so before uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on here, okay? Now, okay, I got a a good buddy of mine, okay? 
my guy Jake is backstage. He's coming on. Okay. Listen, y'all. I've been on his show a few times and, and the Browns fans have treated me with the utmost respect. <laughs> I mean, they've been super cool to me. So I'm going to ask you guys in the comments section to be super cool with him. Uh, he's this guy. I'm telling you, man, he knows his stuff. Uh, he's with the Orange and Brown Report. He does stuff with 247 Sports, CBS. I mean, the guy, he, he, he when you talk football, X's and O's, my guy Jake Burns knows his stuff, man. So uh, we are always happy to have him on the show. And uh, he gets to uh, come on in right now. Mr. Jake Burns, what's good with you, bro? <laughs> what's up, guys? That was way too kind of an interview. I'm like ready to run through a wall for your podcast. <laughs> no, that was nice of you. Thank you, man. No, I'm happy to be here. I I, I really uh, have said this to, you know, to people I talk football with and, you know, even talk football with my wife. Like, you know, Buffalo is a place that we in Cleveland have always related to, not just because of the struggle that the franchises have gone through before they've gotten it right, but just people that really give a shit about football, like really yeah. genuinely care. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they're not persuaded from, from the struggles franchise the franchise has had they're not they're not afraid of it they That's accept right. it they embrace it and i i just uh i just really hope this can continue from cleveland side to maybe make this a sort of pseudo conference rivalry over time because just two great fan bases yes. man that 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 part of it is you know people that sit in the cold weather and and it's a family thing and it's generational and all that stuff so and it's it's like before cleveland you know, fell apart and the nineties and late eighties, there were some great Buffalo Cleveland games, man. So that stuff is really cool to me. Yeah. It's nice to meet you, Jake. I'm Anthony, by the way, good to meet you. I'm glad you could be on with us and talk sports. And it's funny, <laughs> you brought up the same exact thing. One of my new colleagues whose office is literally across the way from me. Uh, she's uh, from the Cleveland area and she's a diehard Cleveland sports fan and she's got her Brown stuff up. And I went <laughs> over and I talked to her about football and we bonded over the same thing, man, all those years of, of suffering and pain and we know that we know the names we know the guys on our team we know who we're drafting every year you yeah. know versus casual fans who have had luck over the years you know living in denver for example that's one where they just take advantage that their team is good and when they're not they kind of ignore them and they're like oh they aren't any good this year i don't know who the quarterback <laughs> is or who that guy is and you know even my family who is also giants fans and you know cowboys fans or whatever it may be their, their passion is not the same as the intensity of Bill's fans and, and my fandom. And I've, I've always bonded with Cleveland sports fans and especially Browns fans over that. And even though I'm not a huge fan of the guy they got at quarterback right now, which we will get into, I'm sure. I don't know if Sterling warned you about that, but uh, yeah, the, the teams themselves, the mentality, certainly the same kind of attitude. Yeah, just a ton of relatability, man, and that part of it's really cool. You know, not it, Cleveland's had success around the city, uh, and 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 LeBron's arrival and departure and a rearrival and all of that. And the Indians have had great runs too. But no matter how well other teams perform in that city, it's always a place that will that will be a Browns town, and um, and and that part of it is specifically unique to Cleveland football. So a renaissance in that department really helps helps people understand how important it is to Cleveland. And thus, you know, I just, I just always have respected Buffalo's. I have a good friend of mine I went to college with and, and, you know, Southeast Ohio, who was a New York guy, big, big, big Bills fan and played football with me. And we kind of connected over those conversations. And I've always just really paid attention to them kind of as a secondary team, not, not just because of like, you know, the two team struggles over time and all the long playoff droughts, that stuff is whatever, but 
just uh, two franchises with people that really care about it in almost a almost a sickening kind of way, right? You know, I know the Bills Mafia stuff is real, and Cleveland has their tailgating pregame stuff in the municipal lot where the stadium used to be, and uh, that stuff gets crazy there too. So, yeah, two two places that deserve the success that they're seeing right now. The people that are running that are running the places, the front office, the coaching staffs. Uh, it's it's a unique time, and it's just it's funny, almost ironic that they're running into each other at the perfect time like this. So, Jake, did did am I hearing a little uh, Bills fandom in your voice there? <laughs> well, yeah, man. I so anytime. Listen, I pull for Buffalo to win. I'm tired of New England. I mean, I, I'm a I'm an Aaron Rodgers guy. I'm not a Tom Brady guy. So, like, I I am uh, I was ready for New England to be done. And I listen. I'm ready for I'm ready for Buffalo to get it right. They've gotten it right. They're going to keep getting it right. And I'll pull for them every game. They're not playing Cleveland. That's just a fact. Look, I just I just I- support them. I'll say this about that that Cleveland team. All right, I'm I'm not a fan of their quarterback, as I've mentioned personally, not his play necessarily. But uh, what I said over the last two years, and I do my NFL predictions over the whole NFL, and when everybody was hot on the Browns to make the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl and all that, I was the reality check guy. I'm like, look, they need to show me they can do it. They haven't showed mm-hmm. me they can do it. You have two other great teams in that division. Good luck. I don't think they're going to do it. And I picked them to go. I think I nailed their record that season um, and did not pick them to go to the playoffs. Then last year, they proved it to me. All right. They Baker was better than I thought he was going to be. I don't think he was a star, but it better than way better than I thought he was going to be. Um, and certainly that whole team, the organization, we're going to get into it. Starting hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on. Oh, oh, you know, I'm going to hold on, hold on, hold on. So here, here is... are the rules. Here are the rules tonight. Okay. <laughs> you can hate. All right. But listen, like you have, we so, have to look at it from, hold on. We got to look at it from an objective point of view because yes. like, obviously That's... Josh Allen's our quarterback. Jake. I mean, Jake, Jake likes Baker Mayfield. That's his guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Jake, you, you mean, and I mean, you could tell us your thoughts well, on Baker Mayfield before we get to, hold on. Let me before we get to the quarterback. So let's. I want to. I want to. I want to make that's, this make sense. Okay? That's why I was finishing that point because I was not two years ago. I was not on the Browns train. Last year, I said they still okay. need to prove it to me, and I picked the Ravens to win the division. This year is different. They okay. are now. They have what what the Bills had before them: stronger leadership, a better coach, the right people in place, a good core with sign the right guys to fill the spot. This year is the Browns have to win the division, period. The, they are the best team in that division to me. I am picking them to win that division. I expect them to win that division. And if they don't, it's going to be a disappointment for that team. So I'll start there. That That is where my expectations are. And just to clear up the conversation about Baker, we know that I am definitely a Baker hater, but it's not his quarterback play or his stats. It's never been about that. It's his attitude and his, his, pers- his persona off the field and the things he says. Uh, so I'm not necessarily rooting for Baker, but I am picking the Browns to win that division. Yeah, we could we could talk about that. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I'm a Cleveland guy. I grew up a Cleveland fan, but my job is not to be a Cleveland homer. I have I'm objectively covering this football team uh, to the best of my ability. Are there going to be times where, you know, I I if I, the camera's not on me and I'm not typing on a keyboard trying to explain something to people and my fist pumping in the background? Well, of course. I mean, I'm a at my core a Browns fan, but I can't sell things to fans. My job is to report what happens, the decisions that are made, the the things that go on, not slanting it to get people to believe my opinion. It is it is to stay purely objective, which we'll dive into that with Josh Allen and 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 Baker. We'll we'll talk about that stuff. But in your we can backtrack if you want me to go on backtracking it, I can. 
that that 2019 Cleveland team that was getting a bunch of hype was not ready from no. the respective quarterback, uh, the way he went into that whole thing to uh, to the moves they made and the things that they ignored. They were uh, they were not ready to to handle the pressure, all of it, and it it backfired in the worst way. Now, I think that that 2019 experience is going to parlay into 2021 and beyond success because of what they went through, what they learned from it. Mm-hmm. But that that hype, the thing, the whole thing surrounding it, which was cool because for so long there was nothing to care about with Cleveland football. Yeah. I, and I don't regret any of the hype that went into it. But they were ill prepared for for what came because, you know, you had to be there. You had to see the decision, the way Freddie Kitchens handled a his staff. And if you guys know one thing, people talk all the time about, mm-hmm. you know, how does a player or how does a coach get his players to respect him? Well, when I'm talking to Todd Monken and and it's he's the offensive coordinator, and it's like a week before uh, the the regular season opens, and I ask him, hey man, what's the dialogue here between you and Freddie? Are you calling plays? He calling play? We haven't really discussed that yet. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for my like. They were just so ill prepared. The things that were leaking out about Freddie were just terrible. About the way he was uh, accepting and 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 you know suggestions and the way he was passing it to players. The preparation models, all of it were were bad. You know, Cleveland had had the Hugh Jackson era where they they decided to keep. Uh, they, they decided to keep him around for Baker's rookie year and 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 forced him into hiring an offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know how far you want me to trace this back. I can go on about it now right. if you want to. I mean, we can <laughs> we can dive into it. Like, there's there's just a whole there's there's layers to it. Like, you know, they okay, so they they're making a decision and they were close to taking Josh Allen. They really liked him. Like John Dorsey, the GM, they liked him. They were that wasn't phony. Okay, like they, hold there on. was there was genuine interest in taking him. Like those Let, rumors were real. Oh, so okay, so. That that rumor I think came out uh, the week of the draft. Is what I, I guess that's probably when I first saw it, and I was just like, because I personally I was either Rosen, I wanted Baker Mayfield first, and then I wanted Josh Rosen. Josh Allen was like fourth on the list because I wanted mm-hmm. Darnold then Allen. When I heard that, I was like, yo, like they're really gonna take Josh Allen? Like what 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 was? If can you talk about what was going on during that time? Like why and why didn't they pull the trigger? I think I think John Dorsey liked him. I think that he liked a lot of the traits. And I think the Browns had a huge divide. Like if you know, as Buffalo folks, you don't pay attention to Cleveland. Like I'm forced to like, you know, vice versa. I don't pay attention to the huge intricate details of Buffalo. You guys could pass along to me in this podcast, but like they have Paul D Podesta. If you ever watched or read Moneyball, the movie, the book, Mm -hmm. he changed the way baseball is played. He's an active part of this process. The Browns had a, a huge analytics push around the time they hired their coach. The analytics, the, the Hugh Jackson hire, the analytics hire told them to hire this guy named Sean McDermott. That's who they pushed for. <laughs> wow. They really pushed for it. Really? Jimmy Haslam decided to hire Hugh Jackson. So that decision was made. They made that push there, didn't hire didn't hire uh, McDermott, went after Hugh Jackson, hire Hugh Jackson. So that happens. They have now a, a huge divide, which has been the problem with the Browns for a long time, where they have – a bunch of people in Jimmy Haslam's ear telling him one thing and then these other side of things telling him another. <laughs> and the, so there's been a divide between the staff of, of people who do run data, who are heavy analytics, and the Browns are on the forefront of this stuff, as you would expect from a guy like Paul, who's an he's an absolute genius mm-hmm. in all respect from a football, yeah. from a baseball to football perspective, a, a very smart guy. So they didn't hire him. They keep 
they keep uh, they keep you a third year. So they they go into that draft process. And there's football guys who like Josh Allen for obvious reasons. There's data people who are afraid of Josh Allen, again, for obvious reasons. And they have a clash. It ends up being a split decision. And they end up collectively coming to the decision to take Baker. Now, John Dorsey will tell you it was Baker all along. But there were, there were real discussions about whether they wanted to take Josh Allen because – Josh fit a lot of what you see. I mean, he looks so, like a guy that they've been dominated by Pittsburgh for a decade. Let me ask decades, you this. So from, what you just, from what you just described, I have this question. First of all, uh, statement, uh, who can Bill's Mafia, what charity can Bill's Mafia donate to thank whoever did not hire Sean McDermott? Because uh, thank <laughs> wow. you. We definitely need to get that going. Uh, and number two, uh, on a more serious note, do you think that Baker was the kind of consensus we're okay with this guy. Maybe he's our number two. My number one was Sam Darnold. Yours was Josh Allen. Neither mm-hmm. one of us is getting our way, but all of us have Baker as number two. So we're we're all consistently, and it's not that much of a step off. So we're all consistently on the same page when it comes to a guy like Baker. Is that yeah? The, kind the of analytics for, for yeah, the analytics for Baker were strong. I mean, you looked at his Oklahoma. Not only that, his tape was pretty good, and and there were things that you could overlook on his tape because of how Oklahoma played. But the analytics side were strong, and the people who love football, old school football, how it's played, the leadership, bravado, you could tell that he could win those people over too. So I don't think there was any dissension to take Baker when they decided to pull the trigger on Baker. But I do know that they really seriously only looked at Josh Allen. Otherwise they were not that interested in Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's who I thought it was going to be. Yeah. They were not as interested as everybody let on Sam Darnold and they were not as interested in Josh Rosen as some people thought they might end up being. It was really those two guys. They spent a lot of time with Josh. They went to his pro day. They liked him. I have, my brother-in-law lives out in Saratoga, which is an hour from Laramie. So I was around Laramie when they were uh, after Josh had been selected by Buffalo, and I'd asked a lot of questions to people out there, and they said the Browns were out there a lot. So uh, they were they were really seriously considering, but you know they decided to go with Baker. And I again, and we'll talk about it here, but I I think it worked out really well for everybody. And I'm not talking just results based on where we sit in August 24th, 21, but tracing how the Browns structured things when they drafted Baker. I just don't know that the, the version we have of Josh right now would be the version that, that Cleveland would have of him. I just don't think it would have gone the same way. So yeah. we'll talk about that stuff a little bit. But yeah, that's a lot of the backstory on where the first pick was and why the Browns selected who they selected and the dissension that was there until they finally hired Kevin Stefanski in 2020. Yeah, I think it, I think you're right. I think it matters where you get drafted. It, and, and when you draft a guy like Josh Allen, let's all be honest here. How many actual people can sit there and say, oh, yeah, we knew he was going to be what he is right now? I don't, I don't think there's that many people out there that can, can really say that and, and be honest about they, Josh if Allen the Bills, will be. If the Bills thought he was going to be who he is right now, they would have traded up to two to take him. Like, that's just the, that's the fact. It's okay. It's okay to say that it worked out well for your team. You yep. know, that's okay. Who knows who the Bills would have taken if they had the first pick in that draft? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's all right to be like, you know, shit, luck happened and it worked out and he's with us and it all shook out the way it was supposed to work out. So, yeah, I think I think the Bills did fine with where they were picking. I, again, like the same thing with people talk about how, you know, Baltimore selected a 24 year old tight end ahead of Lamar Jackson. So spare me on that. Like if they yeah. knew Lamar Jackson was going to be that guy, they wouldn't have messed around and let him, you know, have to trade back up to pick 32. So again, like 
the it worked out okay, but there's a lot of revisionist history stuff that can happen with this whole thing. I think you got to look at it for what it is and appreciate where guys have gone with the opportunity that they've been presented. And listen, we're going to talk about some of the shortcomings that Baker's had. And I'm not here to argue Baker's better than Josh. I can't I can't come on your show and argue that. That's not realistic right now. I'm just being real. I think Baker's better than he's given credit for because of situational things, which we can talk about. But he's not playing. He didn't have as good a year as Josh Allen did last year. So and that. That's that's just a fact. And if I were to come on here and do that, that'd just be an asinine decision. Like, and I'm not talking about just pissing your fans off. I'm just talking about right. like you can't do it right now. No, and that and that's kind of uh, and, and to your point. Like when I come on your show, I really do try to be very objective about Baker Mayfield and what I see from watching the film. And Baker's not a bad quarterback, you know. And I know for for Buffalo fans, um, it's real easy to sit here and shit on Baker Mayfield just because he's not Buffalo. Right. He's not our quarterback. Right. And he's kind of, you know, he kind of I mean, he looks like he's matured over the years, but he's kind of says some dumb shit or whatever. And that's cool. Right. But you you look when you look at it, it's like. Preparing for this show, you when you look at the statistical output, these guys are very similar. So my question for you tonight, Jake, uh, as we get into this discussion, what what is first of all, what are your overall thoughts on Baker Mayfield? And then what's the pulse uh, from maybe the Browns organization uh, in terms of how they view Baker Mayfield moving forward here. Yeah, I think you got to trace it back. So if you if you look at when they picked him, to give your folks a, a background on it, they picked him when Hugh was here, and Hugh was forced. Now, Hugh Jackson was a successful coordinator in Cincinnati. He was a hot name. Like, it right. wasn't just Cleveland trying to hire you. So he gets the job. He's forced to – Due to uh, the past failures, they'd gone one and thirty-one the two years before they took him, uh, selected him. I'm sorry. Uh, they decided to hey, we're going to make we'll keep you because we fired Rod Chudzinski after a year. We fired Mike Pettin too early or whatever. We don't want to pull the trigger too quick, so we'll keep you. But you have to hire an offensive coordinator. We really want you to hire Todd Haley. The background is that the, that they they thought they were going to have to fire Hugh by midseason, then they wanted Todd Haley to take over the role. So they didn't even let Hugh pick his guy to BOC. They brought in a guy who had no real desire to work with you and was kind of pegged behind the scenes as you're going to take over when Hugh gets fired because we know it's coming. He just can't handle it. But we don't want to be seen publicly as a franchise that can't support a guy for a third year. It's I'm telling you, it was a mess. It was a real mess of people pulling at Jimmy Haslam's ear, and that's what he arrived in. So he arrives at a franchise who's 1-31, and has no real talent. Like they just kind of gotten Jarvis. They have this young tight end, David Njoku, who's okay. They got Miles, but he was coming off a injury-plagued rookie season. Like there was really nothing there to make you think this team was going to figure it out. Like Jarvis is clearly a player with restrictions. You guys know him from being in your division. He's not fast. He's got some wiggle, but you know, there, there's a culture change that had to happen there. So, but they don't do it the right way. They didn't bring him in fresh with a coach who could help him and nurture him and a play caller. So they hire Haley. Mid-season hits, they're two and six. They fire Hugh. Not only do they fire Hugh, they hate Todd Haley so much, they fire him both. <laughs> they say, we're going to keep Greg Williams, Mr. Bountygate, as our as wow. our, as our uh, interim head coach and pair him with Freddie Kitchens, who's only ever been a tight end running back coach. So Freddie's able to put together through the help of this has been discussed a lot. They closed 2018 well against, against a bunch of really poor defenses. They poured well, uh, performed well. And they thought, okay, we're going to hire Freddie Kitchens because whoever was helping formulate these game plans, Baker performed well. He had a good rookie year. He 27 and 12, broke some records, played pretty well. 
Um, all, all things accounted for, like if you look at pro football focuses metrics, he was really solid on some things that were unstable, getting out of the pocket, making plays on the run. Some of those things that you can't really project and consistently say, uh, you know, a guy who performs in, in rhythm is going to always be projectable rather than a guy who scramble drills are kind of random. You guys know that. Like you right. just can't always predict where things are going to shake out. So has a good rookie year. They say, Hey, we're going to keep this Freddie kitchens guy. Again, Freddie never been an OC in his life. He never controlled anything considerably in his life. A lot of people gave credit to what that success was in that last half of 2018 to Ken Zampisi, who was the quarterback coach who they brought in from uh, – he had pretty decent success in Cincinnati. He wasn't a great OC, but they thought a lot of the game plan, the wrinkles that were really fun helping him win games were due to Ken Zampisi. So 2019 happens, and Baker – look, I think Baker thought the NFL was going to be easy. I think he didn't think he had to work. I think he thought he could say whatever the hell he wanted to say. He had some comments on Duke Johnson's contract negotiations that were out of line. He was saying you know, stuff on social media that he should never have been paying attention to. He was he was responding to Colin Cowherd's. He was he was doing things that an immature football player does. And he thought 2019 was going to be easy. Like the NFL is going to be easy. I got Odell now on the squad. I think this is just going to be easy for me. I'm going to dominate. Well, he showed up about 10 pounds overweight. I think everybody started to notice it. He did not seem as committed as he needed to be. You mix all of that in, which again is Baker's issues, not saying he's without blame. There had to be some maturity there. He was humbled. He made a ton of terrible decisions. He started to fade out of pockets. He was forming bad habits, and he really became like step back grounded as a, as a quarterback. Like He needed that in a, in a sick kind of way. He needed to understand that the NFL was not going to be easy. And it wasn't. It was a terrible situation from the coaching staff from 2018 to 2019. Terrible leadership. They didn't have the right people in place. The preparation was bad from top to bottom, and it filtered through the team. And that's why they went 6-10 and 10 that year. It was terrible, uh, not just because of the coaching staff. The coaching staff was absolutely it was terrible, guys. I can't, I can't put it into words. But Baker didn't help. He yeah. didn't help anything. Mm-hmm. So then 2019 to 2020 happens, and they do hire the right guy. They finally get the two separated divisions out. They had actually, when they hired Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, Paul DePodesta and his staff wanted to bring in this, this guy named Kevin Stefanski, who hadn't even been an OC yet. They're like, we really like They interviewed him twice. They liked him. They recommended him for the job. But John Dorsey wanted to stick with who they saw some success with at the end of the year, so they decided to hire in Freddie Kitchens. So they like Stefanski enough, and if you recall, you guys probably don't because you don't pay attention enough, but John DeFilippo was the offensive coordinator in 2019 for the Vikings. Um, sorry, in 2018, he got fired like week 14. Stefanski took over that role. He had about four or five games as the OC in Minnesota. He then takes it over, didn't get hired by Cleveland, takes it over in 2019 full-time. They lose in the second round. They go to New right, Orleans, beat the right. Saints, lose to the Niners in the second round of the playoffs. The Browns hire him. They bring back this young GM, 34-year-old Andrew Barry, who had worked under their analytics department of Sashi Brown before, went to the Eagles, was the, the EVP of the Eagles front office. So they finally got a nice grouping of guys leading it. They say, you know, the thing that's hard is Baker comes into 2020. He's locked back in. He looks like he's in shape. He's not responding to the dumb stuff. He's saying all the right things, being very quiet in the background, leading. And everybody you talk to, he's saying the right things. He started slow, as you would I would expect him to start slow. He's got three different, four different play callers in his three years. So he comes in with very little preseason, no West Coast offense terminology in his entire NFL career, none. And if you know anything about West Coast offense, timing, rhythm, it's everything. Boom, it's It's everything. everything. You got to be on top of it. So, so mix in, they did a good job. So, what the Browns did, they finally said, 
I'm t- we've screwed up everything for Baker along the way. And again, I swear to God, I'm not trying to make excuses for him. He, I call him out when he's played bad. I've written some critical articles <laughs> of him. <laughs> but they realize we've screwed this up every step of the way. How can we actually commit some financial resources and a head coach play caller uh, dynamic to help him? They finally did that. Kevin brought in an offense that can help a quarterback. It's it's to accentu- accentuate his skill set. They did that with Kevin Stefanski. They spent money on the offensive line. They actually drafted a top 10 tackle, Jed Wills. They went out and signed Jack Conklin. They made a move to get Wyatt Teller, and he developed at the right guard position. And they, they were lucky enough. Again, this is lucky is a weird way of saying it, but the Kareem Hunt situation, as unfortunate as it was, allowed them to bring in a cheap player and – He's a top 10 NFL running back too. So like, you know, Kareem, again, all credit to him. He's done the right thing since that situation happened. It was terrible, um, but he's done all the right things since he's come back. But that's how they fit a really good offense around him. Um, And they said instead of making Baker try to, with all of the things he's trying to deal with, get to where he's trying to go, let's try to let things uh, become easier around him which they did a nice job of. Baker started the year relatively slow. First six weeks were not very good. As again, I expected it. Like I just thought that there were going to be lumps in the road with no preseason, very little camp, couldn't get together face-to-face. But then after the bye week, they took off, and he was the second-highest-graded quarterback from week 17 through the divisional round of the playoffs. So Baker has done some things that I don't blame anybody for saying he's bad. Like I don't, I don't blame anyone, and you can point to – the, the talent around him now, uh, all of those things. But the Browns have finally given him a chance. I'll give him credit. Like, I think I think that what Josh Allen has been able to do has been miraculous based on the talent that is around him when he started. That they have done right by – and this is a credit to Buffalo. This is not a knock to Josh Allen. He's He's been surrounded with the support people around him to help him continually grow. Brian Dable has been there to help him. If you if you had changed OCs along the way, who knows where it goes? But Dable is a big part of that success. And then they said, okay, we feel like Josh is starting to change his mechanics. We like how he's throwing the football. We like the decision-making process. Let's put let's put some guys around him now. Let's put Stephon Diggs around him, and he takes off. So I don't think Baker's near that level yet, and I'm not sure that you can cut costs on the offense to say, okay, Baker will make up for the slack here or there. But – the progress is not always linear with quarterbacks. Baker mm. had a lot of things he had to understand at the NFL level that he did not get at Oklahoma, that he failed to get in his first two years because of all of the turmoil. And now he's finally in a position where moving forward, they can truly evaluate whether this young man can have the, the necessary tools to carry them if they have to cut costs down the road. You know, if you can't pay a Jack Conklin at right tackle, or you can't pay an Austin Hooper at tight end. Can Baker make up for those things? So we'll see. Um, but the Browns have finally done what the Bills did right, and that's such a credit to the Bills. Like, y'all got it right from the jump with who you put around him support staff-wise. Then, as that became a more comfortable thing for Josh, and he was able to use his legs to help him out, you know, the good thing about Josh is if the throwing isn't quite there, the progress isn't quite there from a throwing perspective, this guy can still run for seven, 800 yards and 10 touchdowns. And that keeps your offense as a net positive. And then you start adding in all those pieces that make his life easier and you see the progress. So the Browns are way behind on that for Baker and Baker didn't help. Baker did some dumb stuff on his own too, but, <laughs> but I do, I do finally feel comfortable with saying 
the Browns have not butchered things around Baker for the first time in a long time. So they're giving him a chance. The problem is they kind of micro-condensed this thing and missed the first three-year window. Now they're trying to make a hard decision about this with a condensed schedule to figure out if you want to give him big-time money. So that's why 2021 is massively important for Baker. I think yeah. you, you, you definitely hit on a, a few things that I was going to bring up, or a lot of things that I was going to bring up, uh, a couple being – uh, the comparison, first of all, the biggest thing I've disagreed with on this show so far is when Sterling said that Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield have similar numbers. As a scientist, I I loathe that because you're looking at total statistics and you're saying, oh, yeah, look, they, they have the same touchdowns and the same yardage. That is completely out of perspective, right? The number one issue, the number one thing I praise Josh Allen for is he's grown in a linear fashion every step of the way. He's gotten better at everything. Whatever people say are his faults, he gets better at. The interceptions, gone. Not enough passing touchdowns there. Runs too much, gone, down, right? Everything, mm -hmm. statistically, everything you look at with Josh Allen has gotten better. And you could not, could not contrast that anymore with a guy like Baker Mayfield. There's no idea, nobody on planet Earth, I don't care if you studied this man every day of his career, knows what Baker Mayfield is going to be or who he will be. He's totally been inconsistent. We don't know. Maybe it's the Browns. From That was great perspective, Jake, of, of the journey he's been on and the things around him. And we, there's no way to calculate how much of it was the bad coaching, even though when, when I was knocking him, it was always for you have the greatest running back in the NFL. You've got the greatest receiver in the NFL. You've got a good offensive line. You've got all these things around you, and you suck. So it's you. You're the problem, not everything else around you. So maybe it was the coaching in those scenarios, and I was wrong there. But with his numbers and the things he's been able to do, maybe it's the play calling. They're not opening it up. There was a, a comment in the comment section that said the Browns haven't really opened the offense up for Baker Mayfield or haven't really unleashed Baker Mayfield. And I'm not down with that either because it's like, okay, but you still, with the weapons you had, I don't care if nobody's coaching, you should still be playing well. Like with the, with the things he's been able to do, with the talent, there's no denying draft day, Baker Mayfield came in day one to play NFL football. Josh Allen was not ready day one to play NFL football, but he did everything he needed to do to get there and mm -hmm. beyond. Baker Mayfield, again, just the inconsistency is what I fear most with him and obviously what the Browns fear most with him. They might believe in him now as a team leader. They know how he is in the locker room. I think you touched on this as well. One of the points that I was going to make is I think the Browns are best when they don't depend on Baker Mayfield, and the opposite is true with the Buffalo Bills. We we live through Josh Allen. You should. You have a star player like that. Every play should be through Josh Allen. You know, hold on, hold on. That you're, this Baker, is the, hold on, hold on, hold on. I let Baker, you, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're wrong about that because if you go back and look at the statistics, they prove the Browns were, I believe, seven and one when Baker Mayfield had a quarterback rating over 80. Uh, I think he was like second or third. Yeah, that's that's pretty damn that's, good. That's let me finish. Let me finish. How do that, you calculate quarterback rating? I'm not talking about the what, I'm, what I'm trying. What I'm, I'm trying to tell you, relying him to make every play. You want to run the ball more? This, if he's nine for ten with two touchdowns, did he have a good game? You're, you're, you're not giving good? him credit. You're not giving him if credit. If he's nine for ten with two touchdowns, did he have a good game? <laughs> Is that a good QBR? Did the Browns win that game because they had three rushing touchdowns and their defense played well? They Anthony, probably won that game. You're you're talking hypotheticals. I'm no, talking you're about talking that. QBR. That's that's nonsense right here. Okay. QBR does not tell you if he passed 30 of 40 times and made completion or if he passed nine of 10 times with two touchdowns. <laughs>
That's Jay. my point. <laughs> I would my just point say is, I, you I, don't I, I need would... to you don't need to run the plays through Baker Mayfield. You let Baker Mayfield be the quarterback, the leader, but you don't call every play. You don't call his number. You let the run game be the run game, and you let Baker do what he does. You let him run when he can run. You let him do a few passes, but you do not pass the ball 40 times a game consistently with Baker Mayfield. Obviously, your opponent and things like that matter when you're doing when you're calling plays and stuff like that. But my point yeah. is, I don't care who the Bills are playing. The Buffalo Bills are passing the ball 40 times a game because you have Josh Allen. I would say that, that not if, be the if, Browns' approach. If Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were in Buffalo, they would probably run the football a lot <laughs> exactly. too. I, that's exactly. what I'm saying. It's not Baker's fault that he has really good running backs. Yes. Like that's not a thing that he should be punished for. No. I mean, it's like again, like it's it's a personnel thing. I the thing that people don't understand is how much they went to throwing the football in the last half of last year. I don't think people want to admit it, but Baker carried them through the finish line of last year. Like he was an was. effective quarterback for them. Through and they and they were playing from empty. They were making a lot of decisions that were based on how Baker played for them. So again, like I, I will say, I will say that Baker has not been as consistent as he needs to be over prolonged stretches. Twenty nineteen hurt him significantly for the right reasons. Twenty twenty, I can lay out for you in in twenty nineteen. Let's let's keep it a hundred here. The right tackle was Chris Hubbard. The left tackle was Greg Robinson. Greg Robinson's in prison for you know taking, I think, marijuana across the border. That guy's a perpetual failure. They didn't have an answer at right guard. They had two answers on the offensive line. So there's a narrative that the Browns have had a really good offensive line for the entirety of Baker's career, and that's just not a fact. 2020 was a really good offensive line, but they've had shaky key shaky parts of their offensive line for the first two years. Nick Chubb is going to erase a lot of your issues in the run game. So you're like, well, Nick Chubb ran for 1,500 yards in 2019. Well, go watch Nick Chubb, and I'll put Nick Chubb up against anybody. Like, he's going to create – like un he's – He's the LeBron of running backs in terms of two beats ahead, seeing things unfold, making people miss. Like, I guess – I guess what I'm getting at, and again, this is, I'm not here. I need to remind your folks, I'm not here to say Baker's a better quarterback than Josh Allen, but the circumstances have to be dug into with some of the things with Baker. Like, I really do think you're right. Like, the Browns, and I argue this with people, there are contentions of uh, factions of Browns Twitter who say the Browns should be throwing every damn play. Like, and, and that's people who look at EPA and they look at the data and they say the Browns should be throwing every damn play. And it, 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 that's not football to me. That's like Texas tech stuff. And I, that's a different conversation. But like, if you have two really good running backs and an offensive line, that's really good and a scheme that fits what they do. Well, of course they're going to run the ball. Well, and they play seven or eight teams on their schedule. Like they, they're good. They'd be dumb. They, if, again, if Josh Allen swap them out right now, put Josh and Cleveland and put Baker and Buffalo and, and, I'm I'm pretty sure they would still hand the ball off to those running backs quite a bit because they're really good. So I I think that the Browns are built right now to have balance and Baker proved that he could handle in the last half of the year what they they said here's what they did. They said we're going to really open this up the last half of the year. Partly because Nick was coming back from injury, they weren't running it as well. Nick had missed four games in the middle of the year and they said, "Hey, we need to see if Baker can handle this because if he can't handle this, then he's not our guy. Like if he can't handle us putting a lot of the weight on his shoulders, then we need to move on now. But he did handle it really well to his credit, but he has to put together 17 games, but he's also not going to throw for 4,500 yards. They're not going to ask him to play the way Josh does. And that's kudos to Josh. Like I think Josh is phenomenal. I'm not here to say Baker's better. I'm just talking like the respect side of Baker, but like Josh is, he's the dude, man. Like he's able to do that for you guys. 
and, and I think, you know, if you drafted Devin Singletary and he turned into Nick Chubb, I think the offense might be a little different. I think you guys would agree with me. If you draft, if your draft success at running back was as good as Cleveland was with Nick and the ability to bring in Kareem, you guys would probably want them to get the football a little bit more here and there, but you're structured in a way that you don't give a shit because Josh can handle that stuff. And it's worked out really well in that regard, but I don't hold Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt over Baker. Like, just just because Baker isn't forced to play that way doesn't necessarily mean he can't. He started to prove it in the last portion of last year playing really good football, but I think sometimes people think that like Baker has to have these things to find any modicums of success, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. And if you go back and watch all of those games, if you pick them apart, like I'm, I'm sure you guys haven't watched every single Browns game and every snap. Like I'm, I haven't watched every Bills game in every snap. Like, they, they didn't play the way people think they did the last portion of last year. So, again, Baker has to keep proving it. He's got to put together 17 really good games, but he's not going to throw the ball. He's not going to be a top 15 thrower in the league, guys. Like, he's not, they're not going to put that on him because they're too good at other things and they seek balance. Like, that's how they, that's how Kevin Stefanski's wired. That's how the system's wired. But they can, given situationally, they can do that, and Baker can handle some of those things. He's not on Josh's level because he doesn't have extension ability that Josh does. He is not going to keep people off of him in the pocket, like you know, like like I see Josh Allen as a modern day better than prime Ben Roethlisberger because the arm is real. It's realer than Ben's was, but he can extend plays. He can run. So, but can Baker, the thing is like, Baker's not trying to be Ben Roethlisberger. He shouldn't be trying to be Josh Allen. He should be trying to be Drew Brees. That's the goal for him. How can he get there? The way you get there is you, you think through the game quicker than anybody else does. You find the right, your Sean Payton, right? You find your Sean Payton, which he has that in Kevin Stefanski, develops such a good rapport, such a good offensive understanding that you guys can play together for 10, 15 years and be out in front of defenses. You know, Baker's a better athlete than Drew Brees was in terms of extending plays here and there, but Baker's got to win from the pocket. And that's how he's got to play in the NFL. And I think he started to understand that the last portion of last year, sitting in more, deciphering defenses, pre-snap to post, like they're getting there, but it's not, it's not at a level that people should be going into this year thinking that he's at the level of top five quarterbacks in the NFL or top. He's, he's, he's a fringe top 10 quarterback right now in stretches. He has been. There have been stretches where he has not been. I think he's every bit a top 10 guy when he plays the way I think he can play. So we'll see. I, I just there, there, there are elements to the stuff with Baker where I certainly will tell you that he's played poorly in stints and he's been to blame, but there are some perspective to certainly have that I don't think many people totally understand. That's what I try to I try to paint that picture a little bit for folks. Yeah, and I appreciate and I yeah, yeah you killed yeah. it. And I appreciate that because I think again, it's very my whole purpose is to show uh our fans and, and whoever's watching the show that like you can't just always look at the stats, but also the stats do tell a story as well. And I think when you look, you have to look at the right things when you when you look at quarterback play. Um, you know, and one of the things that I saw Baker Mayfield down the stretch, you saw the Browns, they 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 started doing uh throwing from play action. They start using him in a play action game. And I think that really helped him, uh, you know, in terms of locating receivers, you know, throwing really good, having really good plays consistently. And I think, you know, I think they unearthed something for that Cleveland offense. I think you're going to see more, you know, people say, well, is, are they going to unleash Baker? I don't necessarily know if they're going to. Maybe you can answer that question. But I think they found uh, a concoction for success for him to be a good quarterback. And I, and I think that. We don't people don't give him enough credit. I think he's a really good quarterback. I don't think he's going to be great, 
you know, maybe I think his ceiling is probably Kirk Cousins, right? Um, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, Kirk Cousins not a bad quarterback statistically. No. It's right. early for all these guys, man. Right. I mean, Josh has had one really good year, and I, exactly. he was a fantastic football season, and I don't see any reason he won't be good moving forward. But we're trying to define these guys three, four, five years in. What are these guys going into year four? Let it let it play out. Like That's the thing. I complain about this all the time, about how quickly we're trying to define success of, of quarterbacks is, is like – Well, I, you're talking I mean, about like, the contract? From a contract perspective or from no, talking talking about about like where they go in their career. Right. Like we don't have to cap these guys mm-hmm. right now. They're so early in the process. And it's like, you know, when you give a guy a second contract, that doesn't define what he's going to be. You're giving him the contract of what you think he could become and continue to be for your franchise. So like, while I think Josh is fantastic, I think he's a top five quarterback going into this year. It's in the realm of possibilities that he could regress. It just is. He could have a bad oh, year. And then you could have that discussion that's like, well, was he consistent enough? Josh is only a, imagine it, guys. You And again, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but there's always like, well, you think it's optimism central leading up to the year. There's right, no denying right, that. Right, right, we did right. a, I did a pessimistic podcast the other day about what mm-hmm. things would suck if they didn't go right for the Browns because you do have to think about what things could go right and couldn't go right. Like, if Josh takes a step back, what's the narrative going to be? Well, one year wonder, one good year in four years. Like, that's the stuff that gets put out there that you're like, you know, that's not necessarily true. Like, there's some stuff with Baker that I don't think is necessarily true. Do I think he needs to tie 17 really good games together? Yeah, but I also want to see him tie 17 good games of the actual parts of going into a season that help a quarterback, too. Like, I I really – I don't think people understand – how hard it is to play in four offensive systems in four years. I don't, I really truly don't think people understand that. And it's the, everything you have to learn. It's so, it's so, so difficult. And he is not a guy again, who, if you are trying to remember the play, repeat it, where do I go? What's my check? He he's not athletic enough to get out and run to save his life when he screws up those things. And that has an impact. Like instead of a five yard scramble, it's a five yard sack. Like that stuff is is a real thing. So I, I'm interested to see where Baker goes. And there are going to be people that don't agree with me. That's cool. But I'm interested to see when he gets the levels of consistency around him he has now where he goes. I think Baker is on an upward trend, uh, whether people want to admit it or not. And I think Josh is on an upward trend and he's going to keep growing. I don't ha- I don't have any reason to sit here and tell you he's not going to be he's not going to be so, having another phenomenal year. So that's that's where I'm at with both of them. Let's talk elephant in the room then with the contract situation for Baker Mayfield. What do you yeah. think he ends up getting if they sign him before the season starts? You know, I don't know where the rumors are, but the the Josh Allen contract, if you weren't following that situation, it came out 2 days before, hey, if we don't get this done this week, it's not getting done. So we kind of said as Bills fans, oh shoot, it's probably not going to get done till next offseason at this point. Yeah. And then it happened because they, they met that <laughs> deadline. So with yeah. Baker, maybe it's the same thing. You don't know. But let's say that contract happens before the season. Do you think because of what you were talking about with the escalation of quarterback contracts and just in general how the league goes, do you think it's going to require either A, more guaranteed money than Josh Allen or B, a longer extension than Josh Allen or yeah. or somewhere in that range? Or did Josh Allen set the bar and now you know, okay, you have to be because obviously, if you're representing Baker right now, you're saying, well, Josh is a bar. That's what you have to give us. you know. And, and obviously, the Cleveland's saying, well, he's not Josh Allen, so we'll give you this much or we'll, we'll bring you here. Uh, and if they wait another year, the second part of that question is if they wait another year and Baker does well this season and wins the division and gets to the playoffs and 
you know, then what happens? Then they have to pay twice as much. Hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I got to take the air out of the room a little bit. Okay, first of all, there's just two points here. First of all, Greg mentioned there's something pretty. He said said, uh, many quarterbacks would have already completely busted out with four different systems. The fact that he hasn't is honestly a positive indicator of his future potential, and he's absolutely right there. And then he goes on to say, uh, Jake is the second best (laughs) guest you guys have had on lately. So we have had on uh, Greg. He was on our show. So Jake, he's saying he's saying he's one up in you, bro. So hey, Greg's great. I can't argue with that, man. I got just like Baker needs to know where he's at. I know where I'm at, my friend. So um yeah, to your point about the contract, I remember reading, I was kind of reading a quote about uh about Josh saying, or maybe it was him or maybe it was his age. I can't remember, but he's like, Yeah, we're just gonna table this thing and we'll get and I'm like, Oh, okay, then he signed. So um listen, I don't I think what what's happened here, guys, is the Bills have four years. Is this year four for these guys? See, they have three four, years yes, of re- year four. three years of really good data on Josh, and they see a linear progression upward. And they say we have not changed. We don't plan to. I don't know if Dable gets a head coaching job down the line. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I'm sure that Sean McDermott is a smart dude and is already grooming his replacement in house. They just feel great about the system structure, performance, the legs all of it that they say we have given him a foundation. We've continued to expand the talent around him. We've seen when we put the right talent around him, how it takes off. There's little to no guessing about Josh. Yeah. Could Josh take a step back? He could, but I don't think even if he takes a minor step back, it's still a very good football season. Like there are going to be peaks and valleys for any great quarter. Go back and look at Tom or Ben Roethlisberger. There's years where they're completely clean. And then they have like a 24 and 15 year mixed in there. It's like, it's just going to happen. It's just like, you're not always going to be, great and i think it's going to happen to pat mahomes at some point too he's going to have a dip in there at some point but like uh i just think that jo- the data they had between the coaching staff all being together uh improving the players around him they know what they have so there's little to no guessing with baker there is more guessing because kevin stefanski and andrew barry have only had exposure to him for a year and 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 that matters right like they like him they do they really like him but they say okay we have to protect our right now and our future and Baker's probably thinking the same thing. Like he's probably thinking right now, if I signed, I could maybe I, the Browns could convince him. Maybe he could take 35, 36 a year, something like that. But Baker's also a believe in nobody believes in me guy. I'm going to go out and prove Good it point. this year. I'm going to ball. I'm going to, I, I feel great about this system. I'm going to show out and then I'm going to sign for 40. And these quarterback contracts suck. Can we just say that they, they yes. freaking suck. Yeah. The NFL has got to do something about this because what it's doing on a different tangent is it's changing the value of everybody around. Like there should never be a question of signing Nick Chubb. Like there should never be a question of giving him a second contract because these quarterback contracts eat up so much money that it forces you to devalue other positions that mean something in the NFL. Like, that's a different conversation. They should do something like 50% them on the salary cap or something, but it's costing other really good NFL players chances to make a living. And it pisses me off, but it, the, the, the situation is a situation. Uh, and I think the Browns are saying we want to protect our now and later uh, and say, we need another year of really impressive data from you, Baker. If you go out and you have that impressive year, we'll pay you. We'll meet you where it, it needs to be if it gets to that point. So you know the Browns people on the on the and my side of things in the in the Browns world are like, well, get out in front of it, pay him early so you can save a couple million. And I get that. It's I get it. You could maybe sign him for thirty nine, and then you don't have to sign him for forty three or forty four, whatever those numbers are. I don't care. It's like the Browns are probably viewing it from a front office as we want another year of data. We want you to show us. And at the end of the day, if they have a great year from Baker and they have to go sign him for forty one or whatever. 
we won't care because he'll have played well and we'll know that our guy is our guy and we'll feel good about it. The same way you guys probably thought the same thing. I don't really care if they don't sign him before. I'm just not a big worry about money guy because I can't make any decisions on this stuff and why waste hot air on it. Like, I just don't think you guys would have cared if Josh would have went out and had another great year and you had to sign him for more money. You wouldn't have cared because he's your guy. Like, he's right. your guy. Who right. cares? Sign him. Pay him whatever it takes. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, so, cool. If they could get it done early, that's great. They're not going to. There have been no real you, discussions of, of, of date yet. They, they won't get it done before the season. They'll meet after the year. And I don't care what it takes. If he has a great season, I don't care what it takes. Just get it done. If he has a mediocre season, that's where things could get like kind of strange because does he sign? Because I, mean, I still think you can win with above average quarterback playing the NFL. It's just different mm-hmm. team structure. So that's a different conversation we'd have at the end of the year. But yeah. Do you think that's the pulse of the general fan base at this point? That was going to be one of my questions in the middle mm-hmm. there. And th- that is, and then, yeah, if he does kind of have maybe not a mediocre season, I don't know what you would call last year, inconsistent season, let's say, you know, a couple of games where it's like, okay, you're the reason we lost. Eh, you could have been the reason we won, but you weren't. Okay. You won us. Okay. You're consistent at the end and you, you got us to where we need to be, but you know, we didn't win the division or, you know, that's really going to muck the waters for them. And that's what I'm worried most about with the Browns, especially if, if Baker is not the reason they're winning and is not, again, not the guy, not in those moments, the opportunities he's given to win games doesn't, but say the Browns still finish, you know, with 11 wins and win the division, but it wasn't because of Baker. Then what do you do? And I agree. I think that's the worst case scenario where just to keep a quarterback, you have to pay him 40 million at this point because somebody else will if they don't and sure you're stuck in his fifth year you can't go into his fifth year with without a big contract yeah that's that would put them in a really tough spot i think there there is an outcome where he does another repeat of last year which is which is good enough quarterback play but maybe doesn't flash top five potential but again to me you you know everybody wants your quarterback to compete for an mvp and that's that's ultimately the goal i i'm with that but there has to be a, a medium there where we're getting really good quarterback play, good enough quarterback play, but we don't have to pay him 40 million. You know, we can pay this guy 35 million a year and 33 or 34, or 35, and still have enough money to add pieces around him. So I don't know where Baker sits on that. He should have, I mean, you know, the data is the data and he'll have to look at it harshly with his, his agent and all of it and have those conversations. I don't think the Browns want to hard reset the quarterback position. I don't think, I don't think anybody does, guys. I mean, it's so brutal. The Browns went through such a brutal stretch to even find right, a guy right. like Baker. So, you know, I don't I don't know what that looks like. If he has another sort of above average year, then I could see them trying to find something in the middle. But if not, the Browns will keep their long-term future open, and they'll probably go down the path Washington did with Kirk, which is we'll franchise you yeah. and keep you around. And, and if he does put together a great year, which, again, is very much in the realm of possibility, he could put together a great year. He could click for him. Uh, and I think it could, I really do think it could, then you start maybe having those, you know, Dak Prescott type conversations where it comes together. So um, I think that they have options. They'll, they'll, they'll be very driven by data. They'll be very driven by keeping their long-term future secure. And if they, uh, if they can't come to a, to a middle ground, I think they'll play the franchise game uh, in, as long as they can. And, We'll just have to see, you know, for now, we we think he's going to have a pretty good year. There's no reason why he shouldn't. This team shouldn't have plenty of success. Uh, but the reevaluation, you know, I think people right now are thinking, well, he either he either gets traded or, or cut down the line or he's going to have a great season. You know, he's going to have a great year and he's going to have 
uh, all of these accolades and then and then they sign him to big money. But there is a very good question, Anthony, which is right in the middle. Like, what if he just is good enough? Yeah. Like, is he good enough? And what kind of contract do you give a player that's good enough? And I think that if they do get another good enough, a Jimmy Garoppolo type of deal could be out there for him where it looks really good on paper and it could pay him really well. But there's a ton of tie ins to prove it. You, you know, you got to prove it at this point, that point through the contract or we can get out of the guaranteed money. So that's an element. That I think I think to. that's probably the, the the fair play. And to and and what is a good season for Baker Mayfield? So 2018, he had 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. 2019, I believe it's like 22 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. In 2020, mm-hmm. he had 28 touchdowns and six interceptions. As we were looking at Josh Allen last year, we had a lot of projections. We were thinking, okay, maybe the guy can get around, you know, if he could get like 35 to 40 total touchdowns. What, in your opinion, is a good season for Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at last year, let me let me pull it up in front of me. Uh, I'm, I'm typing on my keyboard. Apologies to your listeners. Are you good? Um, they they threw the football what 486 times last year. Could that cross over the 500 into the 550 range? Maybe. I think like a great year for Baker would be keeping his interceptions down below 10, keeping those turnover worthy plays down. He had a great uptick. The thing that was. The thing that makes me feel really good about Baker, and if you talk to the folks, I don't believe in everything Pro Football Focus does, but I've seen the behind the lens of what they do with quarterback rating, and I think they do a nice job of evaluating in rhythm, structure, play decisions. And Baker was really good that last portion, two thirds of the year, and in rhythm throwing decision making, and that is a sustainable metric year to year. They have found. So he was really good in that last year. If he carries that over with the big time throw percentage stuff, which is stuff that I like, like a 35 and eight year would be a great metric year for him. If he can pop over 30 touchdowns, uh, creep closer to 4,000 yards again, you know, like his, his 2019, he threw the ball 534 times. Like if he could reach the 4,000 yard mark, 33, 34 touchdowns, something like that. But again, it's, it's, they run the ball so well, right. guys. The opportunities might not, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not only opportunities, but like the need to do it might not be there because their defense has been terrible, guys. And I'm telling you, terrible last year. They're playing Anderson Deho, Carl Joseph in the second. They're, they were so bad last year, personnel wise. They weren't much better in 2019, personnel wise. They've added Clowney. They've got Miles right off of the COVID issues he had late in the year last year. They've added some real good pieces. JOK, Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward is back. Like John Johnson, their defense is fit to be better than it's ever been in Baker's career. So I think, again, what might happen is they play a ton of games from out in front where they jump out on people. Uh, they get a couple scores early and they play grinded out football the rest of the game because that's that's what they need to do. So I'm not so certain he will jump up over 4,000 yards or he'll cross 30 touchdowns. But what is what is the decision making look like? That's what's mm-hmm. important to me. Decision making right. round. Is he delivering the football accurately when given opportunities? That's the stuff. In a dream world, he crosses the 30 touchdown mark, hits close to 35, keeps the interceptions down below 10, and he approaches the 4,000-yard mark. I just don't know if he'll get – I mean, like how many times did Josh throw the ball last year? I, I don't have it up in front of me. Maybe you guys do. I can quickly pull this right, up. I got it. 572 times he threw the ball last year. I just don't see him throwing the ball 570 times just because that's not what they need him to do. Like, you guys mm-hmm. need him to do that, and that's great. That's cool. That's how you're structured. I just don't know if Baker's going to have 100 passes more than he did last year. They could because they come into this year where the beginning of the year last year, they ran the ball a ton because they just didn't know what the hell they were doing offensively yet. They didn't, you know, if you don't really feel comfortable with your passing game and everybody being on the right page, you're going to hand the ball off to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Right. 
kind of A plus B equals mm -hmm. C. Uh, but the, so they might see a slight uptick, might get close to 500, but is he going to throw it 572 times? I just have a hard time seeing no. that. So I just don't think you're going to see, like if you put the data next to each other, it looks like you're going to have to look at like yards per attempt, completion percentages. Right. Josh creeped up. He finally got it up over 60 and approached 70 last year. Baker needs to get it closer to 68, 69. That's a big metric for him. Uh, those things will be important for him and in incre increasing his expect his EPA per play. Those The thing with Baker will be the hidden stuff, the stuff you got to go to Sports Info Solutions to find, right? Because – they just play a different game right now. And if you, if you sign Nick Chubb to the contract they just gave him, you're not going to not use him, you know? So you're going to use those running backs. They're going to be very balanced and they're going to close games out running the football as they try to do. And they'll have a good defense and they should win plenty of games. You know, I know, I know you mentioned Anthony at the beginning of the year, or sorry, at the beginning of this podcast that they should win the division. They should, they should be right in contention. I mean, Baltimore, Baltimore's really good. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think they should be right there to me and it would be disappointing not to win it. Jake, you got a Glock Roach wants to know, has Baker ever hurdled anyone? <laughs> he wants to know. He's Ooh, dying to know. Gosh, um, yeah. No, I, can, I don't think can it would Baker, end, it wouldn't can end, Baker Mayfield it, fly. That's what it would not end well for him. It would be, you know, those guys who get flipped uh, and, and tossed up over in vertical. Now Josh is a, He's a he's a unique dude, man. He is a yeah. unique dude who doesn't, you know, like his forty time wasn't blazing, but he's got football speed. He uh, he's a he's a stride guy. He can he can do things that you're like that doesn't totally make sense, but it works for him. He's really like a more athletic. We watched it for twenty years. What Ben Roethlisberger was able to do yeah. in Pittsburgh, he's a more athletic version of that with a with a stronger drivable arm. And if he can continue to and I know you guys know this. He has those plays where he reverts back to those Josh of Young, you know, decisions yeah. where he'll hold on to the damn thing too long. And it's like, just Josh, it's okay to eat a play. It's right. okay to go to second down, man. Yeah. Like we can go to second yes. down and be cool. If he can keep slowly getting rid of those things, uh, the sky's the limit, man. I'm, I'm listen, I'm not bitter that the Browns didn't take Josh Allen at the time. It made plenty of sense to me. And I will continue to say this over the course of my covering this team. If they would have brought Josh to Cleveland, it would be a different version of him. They Absolutely. weren't ready for that type of quarterback. And they weren't ready for even Baker, but Baker's been able to somehow survive it. So, could, jo could Josh have survived it? Maybe. But it's just like they needed a certain type of quarterback that could play early, and he was able to last it out. But I'm I, I, full-on supporter of Josh. I didn't. I will be honest. I didn't believe in him. I, I'm not. I'm one of the many, many 98.9% .9 of Twitter that did not believe in him. I didn't. I didn't think it would work out. But you got to eat your words at some point, man, and say that it did. And I really liked what I saw from him in 19. And I thought he could have a good 2020 season. I was taking him early in fantasy drafts. I really liked what he could become. And he has proved a lot of people wrong. And I couldn't be more happy for him. And I couldn't be more happy for your fan base, man. So one last question that I have on Baker Mayfield, and you kind of touched on this, but and so did I, saying that I am not a Baker fan. Uh, is he in you know the persona he's given off to the media, at mm -hmm. least for somebody like me who does pay attention to how teams are playing, how players are doing, draft position, all that kind of stuff, and then seeing his post-game press conferences or his – interviews with the media it drives me nuts and every time i see one i'm like i hate this guy he is so <laughs> selfish he's a jackass he'll throw anybody under the bus it's all about him he didn't screw up everybody else did every time i see him talk 
I've never. I don't get any say, of those vibes. Like, oh, I, you it's, must have saw me. a couple clips or so. I and I, I think that I, there was a younger, immature version of Baker that I think the first two years crossed in front of people. Like, he's a cornball. He'll yeah. say that I woke up feeling dangerous. Like, he's just like sometimes he'll say some things that make me cringe. Like, really, dude? And like, really? I think part of it is after that first good season, which is rookie season, was yeah. really good. Uh, he got all the commercial deals, and then they had all that hype, and he was everywhere on my TV, and then. It probably got to him, I guess, when they weren't seeing the success he wanted. And then, you know, I, I, so where I was going with the question is, is yeah. he actually as big of an ass as I think he comes off to be? <laughs> do the media hate him as much as I do? Or is he, you know, does he not have a good relationship with them? Or is it just a persona thing that this is something that I'm seeing that Browns fans and maybe those who actually follow the, the team and, and are around him enough do not sense? And was that a change last year? Like you were, you were. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> nobody hated seeing Baker progressive commercials more than me in 2019. <laughs> Just like we we were driven insane by him playing poorly. And then, oh, I got to watch him make a corny progressive commercial. Sweet. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that any of those guys, though, are going to take those opportunities to make money. So, I, I, you know, you get paid some cash to do an ad. They're going to do it. I think that I do think that Baker had a very bloated version of who he was after his first year. And. He needed to be grounded and 2020 humbled him in a lot of ways. Like I really do think it did. And I think there were times where he was being questioned as a leader and justifiably. So again, a guy who came off his rookie year and then was making the con the, the points about, about Duke Johnson's contract where he needed to go, you know, the, the team had to have a meeting around those things. Like he wasn't doing the right things. And he was saying some things in the media that were, that were kind of crazy. And I think he, he said some things that, uh, rub people the wrong way. I think his arrogance, uh, and again, his arrogance is how he's gotten to where he's gotten. You know, he's a six foot one, six foot and some change quarterback. Nobody believes in me. Shut up. I'm going to prove you wrong. Like all that stuff. But eventually, you have to reel that back in, and you got to say, "This team took me first in the draft. I wasn't a six round pick. People do believe in me. They've placed an entire franchise in front of me to lead." And I think 2019 showed him that he can't do it the way he's always done it. I can't be an, an a-hole to people. I, I got to get the respect of people around me. And I got to go out and earn that respect. I can't just talk my way through that. And he did. He shut up. He shut up. He started answering questions the way they're supposed to be answered, taking blame, uh, doing the right things as a team. This is on me. This is on us. This is on all of us. Like those things you want to hear, we saw all of that in 2020. And I think that's why I'm more – I'm more optimistic than ever because trust me, yeah. there were stretches where in 2019, the preseason and even after uh, some games in 20, like he was doing some things on social, like people that pick at him, like Colin Cowherd and he would respond. And it's like, why are you responding to these yeah. people? Like, I what think are that's, you doing out of it? that's part so, of what, so somebody, I want to address this comment here. Baseless hit. I think what you're hearing right now from Jake is telling you it's not baseless, especially at the beginning of his career where my hate comes from is that persona that he gave off. Even when he was in college, he was the one guy in this draft when the bills were looking at quarterbacks as well as the Browns. I said, I do anybody, but Baker Mayfield is who I want. Do not draft that guy because the persona he gave off when he won the national championship and all that, he was an ass and I did not like him. And I still don't like him personality wise. I don't know him obviously, but just that persona, that impact that he left on me versus a guy like Josh Allen who always says the right things, who's always growing in the right direction, who will never be caught in a position where he's being stupid or something to the media like that. It's just totally different personalities. And it's okay. I'm admitting that I don't like him for his off-the-field persona and personality. I've never said anything about like that 
about his uh, a quarterback play, except for the fact that it's been inconsistent and we've we've built on it from there. But yes, I'm not I'm not a Baker fan. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's been there's been levels to the team that have grown to like him more. I mean, I think they Baker's always been a guy that people like. He just the the things that rub media the wrong way sometimes are parts of things that they like about him. They like the confidence. He's a leader of men. Like all that stuff's very real. But there have been times where he's been challenged and he needed to be challenged by a locker room because you're saying the wrong things, man. You're handling this wrong. You don't talk about other people's money. Thing like you know because Duke Johnson was holding out and was like, well, everybody should be here and. It, yeah. and and like that rubbed you know you don't this isn't Oklahoma like you don't say that this is a grown man's opportunity to make money in the NFL and that rubbed people the wrong way so he's grown I think that I think more than anything else you know Baker he goes to Texas Tech he plays right away he goes to Oklahoma after he sits out of here he plays right away and dominates from the beginning he thought football was always going to become come to him in an easy fashion and he he believed that he had figured the NFL out. He didn't make any quotes about the game being really slow, like like uh, like <laughs> Justin Fields, from Tua yeah. and Justin Fields over the last two years. But he definitely thought he had figured it out, and things were just going to come easy. And he didn't have to work. He didn't have to be the first guy in, last guy out. He thought it was just going to work out. And I think he was humbled in the biggest way he could ever be humbled in 2019. And it's driven him to become a better person, a better quarterback, a better leader. And all of those things you want to see, I have nothing I would tell you. If I was nervous about those things still, I would tell you. I'm not nervous about those. What I'm nervous about still seeing is 17 games of really good quarterback play and proving it. I think it's it's something he can absolutely do. I was so encouraged by how he played week 7 through 17 and into the playoffs. I feel great about it, but he's just got to do it. But I think the, the man, Baker Mayfield, 25 now, he may, might even be 26, actually. He came out 24. So, yeah, the man Baker Mayfield, I think, has grown a lot. And I think that is why a big reason the Browns are starting to feel, you know, starting to feel better about it. Yeah. And let me let me say something here. Uh, Josh Allen has a little bit of that in him as well. I know uh, Josh just comes from a different he does it a different way. Like if you look at Josh's rookie year, he's out there flexing. He's out there talking shit to people. Uh, you know, if you kind of see some some clips, you know, he Josh is just as much as competitive as Baker Mayfield is Baker is just more real about his, his feelings, it, the way it comes out. He, you know, he, like you said, he has that chip on his shoulder, but the, the really cool thing that I, that I enjoy when you, when you play sports, you, 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 you see this, this is what you do. Like we would talk crap, you know, in the layup line, like, Hey, this dude, he can't hoop, you know, like, but if you put me in front of a camera, I'm going to say, you oh, yeah, you know, the other team was this, this, and that, you know, Josh just, he just, he looks better doing it. But Josh right? doesn't draw any of that attention. Like Josh will do some of those things and he believes in himself. If Josh has an ego, all quarterbacks have an ego, exactly. but he doesn't exactly. say the things that make people right. mad. Baker has a way. Uh, and I don't know if it's like a short white quarterback thing, but like he has a way of pissing people off and he would say things that would make people mad. And I continue to say in 18 and 19, <laughs> like in 18 and 19, I'm like, you know, it's not a big deal, but any bulletin board material you can give people is going to matter. The NFL is a motivation business. It is. It always will be. And if you give teams more reason to dislike you as a quarterback because of arrogance or bravado, too much of it, they're going to be out there to humble you. More yeah. so than if the, everybody liked you, there's not like that little you know extra percent and a half or something to make you pay 
it's not going to show up. And like that stuff matters. And I think that Baker finally turned a corner with that, where he wasn't this self-loathing dude who was just trying to like make this, this thing about him, like, you know, the Hugh Jackson stuff, where he would point at Hugh Jackson when he went to Cincinnati, the things that made national rounds. Like, why do you care? Like, let it go, man. And I think he finally, he finally did. You know, I think he finally did. I have not seen any of the nonsense from his first two years. He seems completely driven on. And I think a, lo- a large part of it, guys, is Kevin Stefanski. Like, the- these dudes, like your guy, Sean McDermott, they are so mature. They, they're Ivy League guys. They're, you know, there's a huge Ivy League connection. They're, they're no ego guys who don't care who gets credit. It's the work. The work, the work is all they preach. And it's it's rubbed off on Baker. And I think that Kevin, I would imagine Kevin, Alex Van Pelt, who they brought in as the offensive coordinator, sat him down and said, hey, man, you need to shut the hell up. Here's what you need to do to get from A to B. We're going to help you, but we're also not afraid if you can't do it the way it's supposed to be done, we're going to move on. I think there was a real come to whatever your religion is, come to to Jesus Jesus. mode. Like there was a real (laughs) moment there for Baker where they said that this is how you're going to handle yourself if you want to be. Getting that money that Josh Allen got, that is – they're literally putting the keys to the franchise in your pocket. Like that's how much money you make. That's how much sway you have in winning football games. So if you want to do this, you got to do it the right way. And I think he's Baker is doing them. It's just, he got off to a slow start in that regard from the personality perspective, from the humbleism perspective, I guess I made up a word there, but like those things, like those things, he was behind the, so as, as mature Baker was as a quarterback coming out right away, he was not ready to lead a franchise right away. He wasn't. He was not ready to do it the way it needed to be done. So while you talk about quarterbacks who enter the league and you say, okay, man, this guy's ready, NFL ready day one. He's got it all. He played the college system that was multi-read, all this stuff. And Baker was ready to come in and sling the rock on Sundays. He was. But he wasn't ready for the mental aspect of the NFL yet. I think that's a big part of why I feel better about him now. Yeah, it's a tale of two quarterbacks. Josh Allen, you know, he was ready mentally, but he didn't have everything he needed between the ears, like learning the actual game of football just because of the lack of reps and not the opportunity and talent around them and coaching. So, you know, these guys, uh, I I like their trajectory path. I think both quarterbacks here can be good. Uh, Jake, you have been incredible, my man. Like, dude, you you have to – we got to have you back on because uh, (laughs) – Our bills might find you in the playoffs. Let's hope so. I was going to say, let's do it. Why not? That would be fun. I will say, as of right now, Baker is one and zero against Josh Allen. So take that's it true. <laughs> that's true. That is true. That, we're gonna we're gonna right. have to fix that. But uh, there goes Jake, all that goodwill you beat you built up in this show. No, no, because I go I go on his show talking crap. It's a good too. game, actually. But, it's a great game. But Jake, why don't you tell our fans where they can find you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, we write at the OBR, which is called the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, it is a two four seven CBS venture. So the Orange and Brown Report is our website that everything gets posted on. And then I'm at Jake underscore Burns eighteen on Twitter. And then I do some uh, film concept break. I really got my idea from Eric at Cover One to start the whole thing. I started with film breakdown content. So shout out to Eric, man. He's one of the best doing OG. this thing. <laughs> the OG. Um, I've had a lot. I had a lot of conversations with him back in the day, but I was with Cover One for a minute there. I joined. I joined Cover One for a little bit to help, and then I the OBR came along, and I was like, "All right, I got to go over here and do this Browns thing." But yeah, no, I'm at. Uh, then there's the OBR Film uh, BDN, which is our Twitter account that breaks down film content. So yeah, man, we'll do this again if these two get together in the playoffs. It would be a blast, and and I would be more than welcome to come on. And I'm sure I'll hopefully have you guys on to talk on my podcast as well. All right. Thanks for joining me, guys. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you checking out this podcast. We will have a couple episodes coming up with guests. 
We will go behind enemy lines with the Falcons as well. Thanks for joining today. If you have any questions, again, on defense or offensive notes, check out the OBR where you can find more, and you can find a replay of the Twitch All-22 film room up there as well. Appreciate you guys joining. Appreciate Sterling and Cover One for having me on. Everybody have a fantastic Wednesday. A great day. Check out the podcast you might have missed this week. Keep an eye out for good ones going forward. Keep sharing the word about this podcast. Subscribe to it. You get the automatic download. can listen to it in the car, the weight room, the workout facility. Whatever it is you do with your podcast, it'll be ready and available for you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great day and go Browns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.